It is good to see each one of you. If you're a guest with us this evening, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you will, everybody take your Bible or a pew Bible there and open up. Uh, We won't have slides tonight, but we'll be studying together out of the book of Jeremiah. That's about 664 or 5 in your pew Bible. And and grab that or grab your own Bible and we'll study together. Uh, We welcome back those that have been on the Father-Son retreat, those that have been on the newly marriage retreat. We've had a wonderful weekend here. And also, in addition to those that stayed here, uh, helping to make it a wonderful weekend, I understand that the teddy bear workshop was a great success Saturday. As a matter of fact, we have been distributing so many teddy bears that we had gotten down to uh, zero inventory. Uh, Let me tell you something that I was shocked to find out, and you might be shocked to find out also. Right now, there is such a demand for our teddy bears through emergency rooms and police departments and and disaster relief and and, uh, all the places that regularly use these. Right now, we distribute 1,000 teddy bears a month. A month. And so yesterday, there were 30 uh, plus individuals that came in uh, to work in the workshop. Several even took Uh, work home with them uh, to help get the inventory stocked again. Several of you came for the first time, and it was a great success. Let's all find our place. We want to magnify God. We want to lift up His church, and that's a wonderful way to bring comfort to uh, a small child and give God the glory with that little tag that is on the back of that that gives God the glory and recognizes His church here in the community. We all can take our ability that he has given us and we can find a place to serve if that's what we want to do. And we're thankful to be in a congregation that's full of individuals that are doing that. Let's all continue to do that. And I want to urge you, take advantage of this coming Saturday. Uh, The Walk Through the Bible seminar is going to be a great success. What we'll study through tonight would just be one little small example of trying to take the Old Testament and and put it in a chronological order in our mind where we can remember now where, where did that prophet fall in the order? When did that king reign? And to be able to have a way to memorize that and put it into order even if you don't have a good memory, it's going to be a blessing. Uh, Andrew has worked hard in, in training for this and developing this. And so make sure that you are a part of that. It will be a blessing to you, not only now, but for years and years to come. I mentioned this in second service. We do have colored brochures uh, for the fireproofing sessions that will begin in a couple of weeks for six weeks. If you want to take one of the colored brochures to your neighbors, mail it to family members, uh, just to help get the word out where if individuals have interest, they can call us and say, hey, I would like to be a part of that follow-up. Let's make sure that we do everything we can do, as we mentioned this morning, to help strengthen our marriages, but also help reach out into our communities. Let's be deep fervent prayer about that and let God's will be done in that and we'll be thankful uh, to be whatever part of that that God wills for us to be a part of that. Can you imagine a Holocaust cost? It really is beyond my imagination. But can you imagine for Jeremiah knowing that his country was going to be destroyed? Jeremiah knowing that there was going to be sieges and looting and captivities and death. When we look at the life of Jeremiah as we're going through our daily Bible reading right now, we're looking at a prophet who oftentimes we call in the scriptures the weeping prophet. And many of us, if we had his task, 
we would probably have been described as a weeping prophet also. You see, he didn't just have this one book, Jeremiah, but if you know your Bible, you know the very next book is a short book. There's a reason why it's called Lamentations. The lamenting of Jeremiah. Because you see, if you can imagine in your mind having a ministry where your job is to give the, uh, Judah the final hope. This is your last opportunity. Will you repent? And his ministry began at a point 60 years after Isaiah's, and it went all the way up through the beginning of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, we may have some time toward the end of this lesson to come back around and make this point. If we don't, I want you to know this because this just emphasizes how hard his ministry was. I think sometimes we picture in our mind, wow, Jerusalem was destroyed. Babylon came in and boom! They just, it just happened overnight. No. You see, when we began to study it in depth, there were four times it was taken in a siege type of situation over a 20-year period of time. One of the first times that that happened, you remember Daniel? He was taken back as one of the captives. It is believed that maybe one of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar did not come back and just put a final win very quickly to Jerusalem was because he thought and respected Daniel so much. And so it's believed that it may have been because of his friendship with Daniel that he wouldn't come back in immediately and destroy them. It's also believed that he probably wouldn't have done it at all if it wouldn't have been for Zedekiah and, and his crazy thinking against wisdom. The other world power of that day, the competing world power, was Egypt. And so he decided he would become an ally with Egypt and ne and Nebuchadnezzar knew, now's the time. I have to do something. I have to act at this point. And so Zedekiah literally promoted the action that was the final destruction, except for that remnant that was taken for those 70 years. Now, you and I know, as we read the book of Jeremiah, that all of that also was the fulfillment of the will of God. Because you see... God will protect a nation as long as that nation serves Him. And God will stop to protect a nation whenever a nation stops serving Him. We see that example over and over and over in the Scriptures. You see, the truth is, Jeremiah is a fulfillment of this verse out of Proverbs, the 14th chapter and 34. When I say Jeremiah, I mean his ministry and working with Judea. Judea is a, 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 a fulfillment of it. He says... Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We don't see that any more clearly in the Scriptures than when we read of the ministry of Jeremiah and the people that he had to work around. So tonight, as we try to take this big book and just give some kind of insight to what would God do to a man to prepare him for the destruction of a nation... Let's think for a few minutes about the man. Let's think for a few minutes about the message and then let's bring all of this back around to a close. Look, if you will, in Jeremiah, the first chapter. First, he's going to choose a man that came from a very religious leadership family position. 
We see in verse 1 that his father was Hilkiah of the priest in the land of Benjamin. And we see that he was chosen beginning in verse 4 of Jeremiah, the first chapter. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This is interesting when we think about the study of life and when does it begin? Does it begin at birth? Does it begin at conception? And we have to listen to the teachings of God in times like this when he looked at an individual in the womb and he said, I ordained you a prophet then. And that becomes a very clear teaching to us as Christians when God looks at an individual and when they have life as a human. And then notice as we read, In verse 6, how the reminder that so many of God's people that did tremendous things at first were a little bit leery of the fact that they could do what God was asking them to do. In 6, he said, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. You know, Moses was reserved about what he had set out to do. Here we see Jeremiah reserved. I'm just too young. And he says, no, I want to use you. But please note this simply because he was young did not mean that God was going to take it easy on him. Well, I tell you what, Jeremiah, since you're young, I'm going to give you an easy ministry. We'd be hard-pressed to find a prophet that had any greater challenges than what this young man had. As a matter of fact, his ministry was going to be so hard that as he chose him at this young age, he goes ahead and gives him a warning Who knows if at this point he understood how serious this was. But look with me, if you will, as we read verse 7 and 8. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am young, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Notice this. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. See the reading there? You're going to have a tough ministry. People are going to come up before you. They're going to throw you in jail. They're going to have ill will towards you. They're going to bring hardship in your life. Don't be afraid of their face. Don't be afraid of what they might do. As a matter of fact, life was going to be so hard for him. If you flip over to the 16th chapter, we read something that gives us a little bit of insight to maybe even a passage over in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, beginning about verse 31 for the next four or five verses. Many times we read those and and people say, what do you think Paul meant there when he was making a suggestion that it might not be better to marry at this time? What, What do you think he might have meant? Very similar language here. Jeremiah, I'm going to give you a task. Your nation's about to be destroyed. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah... Your ministry is going to be so hard, I'm going to give you a command. Don't marry. I don't want you to have children. Because life is going to be too hard to watch what children and wives and daddies and husbands and mamas have to go through. Can you imagine it being that hard? That's what this man was living through. Just scanning a few verses out of the 16th chapter, look at verse 2. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. Skip down to 4. This is why. They shall die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. But they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. They shall be consumed by the sword and by famine, and by their corpse shall be meat 
for the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And he continues. Friends, we're looking at a man who had a tough ministry. But why was it so tough? He had a message that people simply did not want to hear. They had left God and they had no heart to turn back to God. Let's look at just a few things about the message that God gave him. Look with me, if you will, in Jeremiah the fourth chapter. Jeremiah the fourth chapter. Of course, we could literally start reading the whole book almost and see the message that was given. Let's just pick out a few things that we see, the kind of people that he was dealing with and the message that he had for Judah at this point. And in Jeremiah the fourth chapter, look at the plea here in verse 4. And you know how sometimes individuals will say the Old Testament is all about the law and the New Testament is all about the heart. And then we read things like this, and it's kind of a wake-up call. It's really foolish to think that God didn't care about individuals' hearts in the Old Testament. Of course He cared about people's hearts in the Old Testament. That, that's just not truth when individuals say that. Here's an example. He's looking at these individuals that they had hardened their heart. In Jeremiah 4 and 4, he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Notice that warning there. God says, I'm going to send a fury on you. As a matter of fact, later on in the prophecy, He even says, I'm going to send Babylon to you. I'm going to allow them to destroy you. Why? He's saying, I want you to have a heart that loves me. I want you to have a heart that is tender toward me. I want that heart, I want that callousness to be cut away. I want, we know what it is to cut down into the quick of a fingernail. He's saying, I want your heart, I want it to be circumcised. I want it to be cut away so now it can feel guilt. Sometimes individuals will say, I tell you, I'm just ridden right now with, with guilt. I feel so terrible about whatever it is in my life. Let me tell you something that's a lot worse than that. What's a lot worse than that is whenever you and I can do that same thing in our life and feel no guilt. And friends, we are on a downward spiral whenever we start sinning and continue sinning through the guilt because the next thing that's going to happen is that hardness of the heart where the Lord would literally be saying to us, you need to circumcise that heart. You need to cut away that callousness. And that's what he was saying to these individuals. They're running out of time as a nation. And he's urging them, is there any way that this prophet can take a message and touch the heart of these people anymore? Well, how bad had it gotten? If you will, look with me to Jeremiah, the seventh chapter. This is such an interesting vision. If you could just picture this in your mind. He wants Jeremiah to go and stand in the gate. And as the people start coming, he just wants them to begin shouting this message out. And this message is for them in verse 3, the middle of 3, to amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. 7th chapter, verse 4. Do not trust in these lying words saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Let's pause there for a moment. We think that what he means by that was that they had an expression of speech that they would say, and perhaps if they went out and committed a sin to make themselves feel better, the idea was, oh, but we still have the temple of the Lord among us, so it really can't be that bad. 
You know, it's the idea of I'm not really going to obey God, but I'm going to find ways to relieve my conscience so that I won't feel guilty when I disobey God. Now, today we may not cry out the words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, but we're not answering out loud, so be honest with yourself. What is it that when you do something wrong, you tell yourself, but I, I, I go to church three times a week. That's, that's got to be good. I, I give generously. Surely God's happy with that. Oh, I, I say that I love God, and I don't mind telling other people I love God, so that's got to be all right. And here Jeremiah would speak to us, and he would say, Whatever you've conjured up in your mind that's that quick spiritual fix, what God wants is not for you to try to play games with your conscience. What God wants is for you to amend your ways. Now, they had a lot of amending that they needed to do. Drop down and just see a few things in verse 6. We're still in the 7th chapter. Look what he says in 6. Do you not oppress the strangers, the fatherless, the widows, and do not shed innocent blood in this place or walk after other gods. Then I will cause you to dwell in this place and land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in the lying words that cannot profit. In other words, they were crying out about the temple as if an outward religion was the only thing that mattered, and really they had distorted that. But still, it was like all that matters is we got this outward religion. And, and through Jeremiah saying, what about your life though? Do you have a heart that's tender toward orphans? Do you have a heart that reaches out to widows? Do you have a heart that looks at a stranger in need and says, because my love for God and for others, I want to serve that one? He says, if you don't have that, amend your ways. But then notice, he talks about a message that does not have profit. What message could that be? Go with me, if you will, a little deeper. Let's go over to the 23rd chapter, and let's see what he says there. Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. Notice what Jeremiah was against. Here are just a few examples of teachers. Now, keep in mind, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a teacher. You say, well, I bet he was glad to have other people to join him so he wouldn't feel alone. Well, the problem is those joining in with him, they were false prophets. They were teaching, but they were teaching lies. Here's just a few examples. Verse 9, Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter. He says about this situation, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. Why was he broken? Look in 11, for both prophet and priest are profane. Skip down to 13. For I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. And I've seen the horrible things in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers. Skip down to 16. What are we going to do about these prophets? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. To everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come from you. Friends, do you see the danger here? 
Here are individuals, and he says, my problem with them is I've given a law to speak, but instead they speak from their own heart. I have individuals that are wicked, and they're against me, and these false prophets are coming up and saying, the Lord blesses you. There's nothing wrong. There's, there's peace between you and God. And God says there, I'll bring my fury upon you. Look down at 19. This is what he's going to do. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. I will fall violently on the hand of the wicked. How do you prepare? First, he was prepared as a man. Second, he was prepared with a message. And if individuals didn't like him as a man, he continued living the way the Lord created him to be. And if individuals didn't like his message, he continued to speak and to preach that message in spite of what they thought. As we start moving this lesson to a close, I'd like for you to look in Jeremiah, the 36th chapter, as we look at a final verse about the message, and then we'll look at a couple of verses to wrap this up. Look in Jeremiah, the 36th chapter. In your daily Bible reading soon, you'll get to this. So again, this is another passage we'll just scan over. But Jehoiakim was the king at this point as we're reading in, in the 36th chapter. And he asked for the writings of Jeremiah to be brought to him. So imagine this, a scroll is brought, and so it begins to be read to him. And notice in 23, and it happened. When Jehuda had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it in the fire that was on the hearth. What do you do with the Word of God when you read something you don't like? I need to ask myself that. What do I do with the Word of God when I read something I don't like? Do I have the, the syndrome of Jehoiakim? And I say, I tell you what, I'll just close that book and, and get that out of here. In other words, I don't want it in my life. I don't want to deal with it. In that sense, I want to destroy it. Maybe no one here has ever burned it. God calls Jeremiah, beginning verse 27, and says, we're just going to write it again. And then he says in 29, And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? He says, I tell you what, Write it back and then go back and tell him of the destruction that's coming his way. You see, that's why he destroyed it the first time. He didn't want to hear of the destruction. You know the lesson we studied this morning? Think about that lesson as an example. Somebody hears that lesson? Oh, I don't like that lesson. It talks about an eternal separation from God. It's our idea that if the lesson works in a sense to identify that I am in opposition with God, that I want to destroy the message? Or am I willing to change me to conform to the message of God? When you and I turn to 2 Kings, the 23rd chapter, and we're going to scan two passages here as we wrap this up. I just want you to see, to me, this is so interesting, this, this how this works. 2 Kings... 
beginning about the 23rd chapter, we see a lot of his ministry, of Jeremiah's ministry. You see Josiah mentioned like in verse 24 and of the 23rd chapter. And it's there that, of course, he was a great king. The next three kings would be the final kings of Judah, and they were terrible kings. When we, we read about one, Jehoahaz in 31, that would have been the third from the last. He was the third from the last. Jehoiakim was the second from the last. That's when one of the attacks come in. That would be in about 606 B.C. That's when Daniel would have been taken back. And that's mentioned at the end of the 23rd chapter. And the attack is actually mentioned in the 24th chapter. And then we go into the 24th chapter and we begin reading of Jehoiachin in verse uh, 8 and uh, Nebuchadnezzar came back and attacked him again in 597 and then finally Zedekiah the, the final king was put into place and it was kind of like a straw king it's like a puppet king in other words Babylon had control over him but it was kind of like the idea of hey we'll let you have your city we'll let you reign just don't go against us and that's why I mentioned previously, he decided, I'm going to go against you. I'm going to join up with, with Egypt. And then that's where he comes back in town, and, and Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I'm going to make my case here. They surrounded the city, and for a year and a half, you read the book of Lamentations, they tried to survive. Women ate their own babies. It was a sick sight. When they finally broke open the wall, what do you think the great leaders like this did? They left the people behind that were dying and tried to flee. And when Nebuchadnezzar called him, he first took the king's sons and he killed his sons before his own eyes. There seemed to be a problem of, of conflict of prophecy because one prophet spoke of the fact that he would be taken back to Babylon, but another prophet spoke of the fact that he wouldn't see it. Oh no, that came true. You see, his eyes were bore out. He was taken back to Babylon, but he did not see the land that he was taken to. Now, Jeremiah's left behind. And if you want to just make a note and, and do some reading on your own, Jeremiah, the 43rd chapter, talks about what happened to him. And what happened to him was later, five years after this destruction of Jerusalem, there was a small remnant that remained in Jerusalem. And they were forced by the leaders that were left there to go down into Egypt. Let this sink in. The children of Israel had left Egypt after 400 years of slavery, and now, 900 years later, they're back. And you know what? The last prophecy that we have, keep in mind the book of Jeremiah is not in chronological order in many points. The last writing that we know of, if we're correct in our deductions here, of a prophecy of Jeremiah is the 44th chapter. And if you're involved in the daily Bible readings, make yourself a note of that. That's, that will help you appreciate that chapter in the writing so much. Because you know what happens? Now he's prophesying to that small remnant that went down to Egypt. And you know what he's trying to get them to do? Now this boggles my mind of our human nature. He's trying to get them to stop following idols. They had just experienced all of that destruction for 20 years. And now it's five years after the destruction and they're fleeing to Egypt just to stay alive. And they said, we are going to continue worshiping the queen of heaven. They told him, we're not going to stop. And you know what he said? This prophecy from God, one of the last prophecies we have, 
is he says, all right, I'm going to give you a sign to let you know how powerful God is. The same destruction you saw Babylon reap upon Jerusalem to destroy you, God's going to come down, God's going to send Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, over to Egypt and destroy it so you'll be destroyed again. Amazing. Brethren, that humbles me. That humbles me to think about our human nature of why do we struggle to believe God. Even when God does very powerful things and yet we still struggle. Let's have a heart like Jeremiah. that says, I've got a fire. The message of God is like a fire in my bones. I can't contain it. I'm going to let it out. I'm going to live it and I'm going to tell other people about it. And I know this, not everybody's going to live it and not everybody's going to love what God has to say. But I've made my stand And my stand is with God. Is that where you are tonight? Have you made your stand with God? We're about to sing a song of invitation, and it's that simple. Have you made your stand with God? Jeremiah did. He was a weeping prophet. It wasn't easy. He cried a whole lot as he made his stand, but he made his stand with God tonight. We're not asking if it's easy. We're not asking what you've had to go through. We're not predicting what you will go through. We're simply asking this. Have you made your stand with God? If you've never been baptized into Christ or if you have and you've fallen away and you want to come back, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.